This week on Emerge, I'm excited to host a conversation with my friend and mentor, Vincent Horn. Vince is the creator of the Buddhist Geeks podcast and one of the people who has most influenced who I have become. It was through the Buddhist Geeks podcast that I first fell in love with podcasts and contemplative practice. And so it's a real treat to share this conversation with you. In this conversation, we asked the question, what wants to emerge now and let it take us where it wanted us to go? We cover topics like the relationship between the psychological and the political, Trump's superpower, and the personal responsibility we all have in the age of the attention economy. Next week, we will begin a special event that I've been jokingly referring to as the Emerge version of Shark Week, where I'll be featuring three episodes in one week of dialogues with Bonita Roy about her unique and powerful source code analysis process. In this three-episode arc, we will deconstruct and reconstruct the concepts of power, trust, and cooperation. And after that, I'll be taking a couple weeks off of Emerge. Uh, The good news is the show has been growing quite quickly in the last couple of months, and uh, I'm very happy about that. Um, And and I'm now feeling keen on spending a little bit of time sensing into what opportunities there are to create new forms that serve this emerging network. Finally, if you are receiving value from this project, I invite you to become a supporter of the show by going to anchor.fm slash emerge. And if you aren't receiving value from the show, then why are you listening to me drone on? There are many other ways to spend your time. On that note, I'd like to thank the following folks for supporting the podcast. Michael Fogelman, Jared Janes, Diane Leroy, Dennis Wittrock, Chris Holly, Ali Shanti, and Laurel Carrington. Thank you so much for supporting this show. It really does mean the world to me. Okay, that's all for this week. Please enjoy this episode of Emerge with Vincent Horn. This is all relating to the to the topic or the question of emergence. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've been thinking about, and one of the questions that um, this friend and mentor named Dave Gold brought to my attention uh, is the question: What wants to emerge? Hmm. And you know, I work you know I work with inquiry meditation. Uh, it's like part of my core palette of practices, and mm. um, so working with questions that don't have answers is like a you know, fun, mm-hmm. and that one feels very, it just feels relevant to the period of time we're in and, like, the way that information networks seem to be structured and the way that systems, that the complex systems show these emergent properties that can't be predicted when you look at the components in the networks, right. you know, that these things emerge out of complex happenings, and that emergence is... You know, it's like, how does that happen? What would that, and what does that look like in the context of, say, meditation or mm. political action or I don't know, any number of things? Yeah. Um, but I, I've been thinking a lot about it in terms of like s- spiritual practice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being a teacher and, 
having students and kind of figuring, trying to figure out what that mean, even means. Yeah, yeah. One of the first things that comes into my mind is the way that emergence, or what wants to emerge, there's a kind of like sudden change that often, I think, in retrospect, looks inevitable once you can see the patterns that led up to it. Like, I think of the way that people think about Trump, mm-hmm. where it's like nobody expected it to happen, but then now we have so many good theories about why it happened. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know, there's a, mm. it's, it's like what, what wants to emerge to me asks us to look at what, you, like, I, I'm curious about, like, how do you sense into that question, especially beyond your body? You like, and I, you mentioned networks. It's like we're participating in networks. There's things that want to emerge through networks. Mm-hmm. Like, what is, it to, what is it like to tune into that? Like, there's so many dimensions of that mm-hmm. question that are appropriate, I think, for where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been increasingly coming to this a new conclusion about just how much more social uh, humans are. It's like like the myth of individualism mm. kind of just washing away and seeing like, oh no, there's a lot of ways in which we're really socially conditioned, you know, and uh, we behave in ways that are so much about each other. Yeah. Uh, we even take on each other's vocalizations and ticks after hanging out with each other for a short period of time. I notice that it consistently happens. Yeah. Um, and it's you know you take on you know even phrases or catchphrases and things, and it's like you know people start to share the same kinds of memes. Start to look like your dog. Right. You start to look <laughs> like each other and dress like each other, and there's yeah. the way in which you become more like each other. Right. Um, that nature of identity that's so social so like the socially constantly being reconstructed you know constructed by each other you're right um right and of course that intersects with biology and you know the deep roots of our dna right but um you know that's something i've been thinking about a lot and and in the context of meditation you know where most of my energies at it's like doing social meditation practices yeah you know not just saying what wants to emerge and talking about it but also what wants to emerge, and then someone responds, hmm. and then what wants to emerge, you know, like group, you know, social inquiries, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. It seems to add another dimension to it. Yeah, and when you were saying that, oh man, I mean, I already brought up Trump for some reason, and he's now factoring in my mind, you know, and <laughs> it's like there's a way in which Trump you, yeah. Well, there's a way in which, you know, you mentioned this idea of like the individuated separate self of this. And that's a kind of like mythic construction that I think many of us. Of like the Western Enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah. Like it it didn't always, was not always the case in in human history that Mm -hmm. there was this idea of an individual self, you know, like. And and certainly we had a whole culture of people who think they're individuals. And like reifying it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I remember that my, I I took a class on like Indian religion in college and the teacher said like that to basically like there's no, like there are cultures in which there is no individual self. And it was like inconceivable to me at the time, you know, because I was so identified with myself. Um, but it with your self-concept well with my self-concept exactly yeah. with, with this idea and I just didn't I couldn't conceive of some other way of seeing yeah right um, right was not a possibility it wasn't a possibility in my, yeah. in my the way I saw the world and yeah. um, so anyways uh, 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 that 
actually what I think I, 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 I'm, I'm sensing the same thing is I think you are and in, I would even go so far as to say like we're, we, we may be able to be rational um, at times and in mm-hmm. certain spaces mm-hmm. but actually it's only we can only really be rational after we've had the social aspect of ourselves kind of satisfied or honored mm, yeah right that, like that, that rings true to me yeah and so like what is it like to then look at things like trump and the phenomenon and the you know you know we can go back and make theories about why he got why it happened but i think it's interesting to me to look at it like as a strictly social phenomenon not in terms of policy not in terms of economic anxiety mm-hmm. but in terms of like what economic anxiety does to our feelings of belonging and mm. being valid and that kind of thing. And yeah, what happens when genera- you know, generations uh, of people have made their living in a certain way and then their, you know, their sons no longer can make a living doing that same thing yeah. that their fathers and grandfathers and maybe even great-grandfathers did. And who actually made like good good salaries and could like afford houses and cars and yeah. you know, things that people expected for the middle middle class. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and consider in that light, it feel like I feel like even as you describe it, and I think you probably, given where you live and uh, the networks you're a part of, have more direct exposure to like the f- the reality of that in some ways. I'm s- I'm started just starting to having moved to um, Winston Salem, North Carolina, so it's you know. In the yeah. southeast, and um, it's a pretty mixed community. It's like maybe fifty percent white, thirty-seven percent black, and then Hispanic and some other um, things yeah. mixed in. And it's you know interesting having been in you know Asheville and then Boulder before, which are much more progressive and white communities. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a mixed family with a Palestinian grandfather who's like my, my like my dad, yeah. and a lot of Arab relatives and you know Orthodox Muslim you know aunt, aunties praying mm-hmm. in the back room and stuff. So I had that experience of being in a mixed community and culture, but also grew up in a very white yeah. um, Baptist you know uh, community, mm-hmm. and so I definitely saw you know the the underbelly, the racist underbelly of. Uh, you know, America, and it was like, mm. you know, and it was, you know, a part of the culture, like embedded in the culture, like a r- of rural North Carolina, Western North Carolina. Mm. And mm. I think that's probably true in a lot of other places, mm-hmm. red, red states or red areas of the country. Yeah. And there's such a, you know, it's like, I look at, I think about my own story and how it reflects maybe broader cultural trends. And I think about how, how I so wanted to get out of there you know, such like, I, I just knew it was so redneck and backwards mm. and, you know, all of these things that I would describe it as, um, you know, and, and anyone with any intelligence would leave, you know, go to college and go to a city. Mm-hmm. And that was the route, you know, I got out of there as quickly as possible into Raleigh, North Carolina, and then eventually mm-hmm. to Boulder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are like cities of incredible privilege and amazing communities of yes. like-minded people getting together yeah. and studying and exploring really crazy stuff. And I found my home there, like my spiritual home, but also found like a kind of disconnecting from that, that the, some of those differences and like the realities of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, I'm trying to like re-engage with that. Um, yeah. And you know, it's 
I think a lot of people have had that experience of, you know, when you find your like-minded community. Yeah. And, but what that also means is you isolate yourself from other communities that are different. Yeah. You know, and then in those like-minded communities of, you know, many white like-minded communities that are progressive, you, you know, people start then, you know, just like constantly talking about diversity. And I've been in those communities and it, it's mm. really weird quickly because it's like, wait a second, <laughs> there's some gap between what we're talking about and how we're walking our walk. Mm. So that's part of what drove me to uh, get to move. And I, I just was kind of tired of doing that myself. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's, I mean, it sounds like even as you were speaking about like your encounters with, I think you said the racist underbelly of American yeah, culture, it's no, like, it's real. yeah, I don't have that experience. That's right? great. It's well, nice to not have that. Well, no, not, I mean, that's, I don't, I don't, Think it's either ways. good or bad, but just like that, I don't have That's access ugly. to that kind of um, the knowledge that comes with having that direct experience. Yeah, I mean, I remember my my friend, uh, my my good friend Marlon, who was one of the few black kids in our school. You know, like two of three. Mm. It's a small school, but still like tiny minority. And I remember just the amount of shit that he got. The number of you know kind of more hit kids that would call, drop the N-word on him in school and the way that the school didn't really, mm -hmm. you know, go out of its way to protect him. It wasn't, you know, it was treated like anything else, but he was, you know, constantly bullied. And I remember walking down the street with him and a cop stopping us. I'd never been stopped by the cops before. And I'm yeah. like, that was weird. You know, yeah, things like that where it's just so obvious. It's, yeah. it's if, you, if you pay attention. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah and, and what, what is what's coming to mind now is like, there's a way in which I think that we were as a culture or as a nation kind of under the illusion that we had sort of like solved racism, I think especially oh, yeah. after the election of yeah. Obama. Integration, and, yay. Well, and even, yeah, as far back and as like the civil rights movement. Yeah. And, and it's like, it, it's, it's again revealing to us, I think the primacy of like the, the the social and the individual, you know, mm. like the psychological, because we had solved it structurally in a way, but we hadn't yet actually addressed it at the level that it was stored, you know, like holographically in the minds of mm. the participants in our culture. And so... Yeah, uh, a lot of that gets passed on through... Yeah, through in really subtle behaviors. ways. Totally, yeah, that they're not probably even self you know, like we don't learn because we from our parents because they tell no, us. These, I mean, people that, that have these, I mean, and I say people because, you know, I've had them too and I've seen them come up and worked with them and, and I, I'm sure they continu mm. will continue to, but like these latent racist tendencies are like tendencies to see d some certain differences like an inherently bad thing when, you know, it, it may not be. Mm -hmm. um, that, I've, I've really noticed how, you know, if it just doesn't, get addressed it just stays it stay, you know it can just pop up and then go away I was just buying a yeah. used car and I'm you know talking to this like really old southern white man mm -hmm. and he like is dropping things you know little kind of semi-racist little baiting things like mm. talking about the blacks that work at the so-and-so like mm. in a kind of slightly negative way you know, and then, and like, does it again. And then, like, Asheville, isn't that where all the gay people are? You know, like, and then it's like hitting, the, and he was like, okay, whoa. You know, like, mm -hmm. I can't, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> maneuver here, buying a car from you. This is like, at what point do I just say, hey, dude, stop being an asshole? Mm. And, you know, at what point do I recognize, like, there may be get, no getting through to this dude? You know, do I really want to have a throwdown fight right now with a guy who, 
probably in terms of his mental rigidity, it's like going to be very rigid. Yeah. You know, I can kind of sense that already yeah. talking to him. Right. You know, and I grew up in that environment, so I kind of know it well. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, I don't know, and I don't know where the lines are, but it's like, um, man, it's real, and it's and it's. I I see a lot of people on the left reacting to that, but I also, you know, I don't know what your sense is. I I see yeah. that there are almost two levels of racism, you know, like or maybe like d- degrees. Mm. Um, there's like some of the stuff that I grew up with that's like really like when you see it, it's like the underbelly is just it's really nasty, and it's like personal, and it's mm. like it's gnarled, you mm. know, into the person. Mm. And, you know, you could imagine that person doing something awful, like if they were drunk or in the right circumstances, you know, mm. it's like, it's that kind of dark, mm. you know. I, I, th- I consider that like different from someone who um, has like come up in an environment that had latent racist things built into the language and into the mm. institutions and mm. who has kind of, not seen that around certain things like that's not someone yeah it's it's a different level of processing you know and it's like i think it's like we should be doing that processing but we shouldn't be confusing or conflating those two because one of them is actually really dangerous yeah you know and it actually in the wrong, wrong circumstances could lead to like white nationalism or like ethno you know cleansing or things like that the other one it's like you no know, people these are people who just you know, they're good people actually, and they don't walk around seeing things that way most yeah. of the time. But it's like latent in their language. You know, yeah. like that's that's the kind of racism I've seen in my own experience. It's like about variety. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, the, it, it's frustrating being kind of having a mixed racial identity, mm. uh, seeing people conflating those two. Um, because I think it's it somehow does an injustice to peop- you know to us when we when we don't clearly see where the da- real danger is and and sort of stay focused on right. what's really problematic you know it's like instead of bickering over like did you say the wrong words on Facebook right you know that kind of word policing and idea you know like trying to get everyone to conform to it like some sort of right way of talking. Um, you know, it's like, no, like, there are actually people who, who, you know, given the right circumstances, like, they might want to kill someone because of their race. Right. You know, that's, 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 that to me is like, right. that's the poison that's sitting at the heart of our culture yeah. <laughs> you know, that needs to be transmuted, transformed, you know, dealt with, worked with. Um, but, we, but, but in order to do that, we need to be discerning about what that actually is. And not conflate it because it also strikes me that as you're saying that like um, yeah some people are going to disagree with what I'm saying by the way and they're and they're and probably right some people are probably right too. yeah yeah I mean, <laughs> but uh, this is how I view things yeah well right now yeah and I think that didn't expect us to go into the social uh, stuff <laughs> it's so big right now it's so big and it is what is emerging now is I think our culture That's and our point. world is kind of like wrestling with these nuances of identity and mm. like appropriateness and mm. you know we're being networked together in, in mm-hmm. entirely new ways and like we are just tasting the very beginning of what the ramifications are going to be of that mm-hmm. and i think that it's challenging we're learning i actually i actually do think we're learning like i see yeah, us learning and responding that. and actually quite quickly i think um you know these are ancient tendencies of mind you know around tribalism and, and 
other you yeah know, I mean it wasn't really the, until the axial age that we know of that like you know something that was trying to offer something beyond this I mean yeah so it's like pretty yeah. new new operating system to like that you universal know yeah universal brotherhood or whatever uh, yeah. humanism I mean yes um, and I think yeah it's it's really important you know I remember Angel I really like Angel Kyoto Williams uh, she said um, not everybody can be repaired mm. but everybody can be redeemed Right, and there's a way where everybody has the opportunity to be redeemed, perhaps. But you know, like you said, like I like the word like gnarled. Like there is, there are things that are so deeply woven into like the the structure of somebody's psyche that it's almost like we just have to like isolate mm -hmm. and like put it in perspective mm -hmm. and be like, well, we shouldn't have a cult. We shouldn't. We should do whatever we can to make a culture that doesn't produce people like that moving forward. But like, we shouldn't also waste our energy uh, amplifying the dangers of that kind of stuff in light of the fact that we might, we're like at an existential, I think, at an existential bifurcation point. Mm. You know, and so choosing our battles mm. very wisely right now, I think is uh, uh, one of the most important things that we can start learning how to do. Yeah, you know, I was talking to uh, Ryan Olkey Oh, yeah. uh, you know, mutual friend of ours, and um, he had a great analogy. He said he, you know, he felt like Trump's superpower was to be able to do that game. You know, that where you have the you have the three cups, and you have one thing under the cup, and you're kind of moving <laughs> like around. You know, like a monkey could do yeah, this, right? Yep. Um, so, like you imagine the trained monkey doing <laughs> this, and that's what Trump is. It's kind of like a monkey. Doing yeah. this, he's got the superpower to like right. constantly be bringing your attention off of what's important, right? And you know, and and just with the outrageous and the outlandish and the just dickish, you know, and it's just like one thing after another. And it's I think it's really hard for us to stay focused on, yeah, like what's actually the most outrageous, like what's the thing that we should be truly outraged about, right? And we can, you know, like. Push or pull our force together to, right. you know, to like, right? Because we because it's happened many times, you know, over the last two years that there've been these moments where, you know, there's been a kind of response that that does push things back in certain ways mm. or like, you know, but it's been limited. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know, you know, I don't know how what is the proper what, way. What, to what, put what it. are you re referring to as far as like these times that people have pushed back in certain ways? I'm not sure. Um, in the times of Trump, the post-Trumpian times, yeah, there's this kind of active resistance to Trump, which I, you know, to be honest, I don't know where I land in all of that, but um, it's um, it's a complicated situation. It is, and I, but I do think you're you're right, or and Ryan right, or I would agree that like there's a way in which the most important thing to notice now is the way in which our attention is trying to be controlled yes. by certain people in power. And fragmented. And fragmented know. and like confused, right? There's, yeah. It's almost like this kind of like big campaign of misdirection, yeah. right? That has both co maybe conscious misdirectors yeah. and like, uh, uh, you know, just people who are inadvertently participating in the misdirection of our of our kind of culture, <laughs> uh, if we're being charitable, you know, like maybe they don't know what they're doing, but that for each of us as individuals, then the, it becomes even more our responsibility to like 
manage our manage our intention uh, attention you know manage right. what we actually pay attention to and therefore give power to and like yes. there's a bigger game being played than the actual content of what's being said yeah that's i think that's so yeah so important um that ties in with platforms social media platforms and you know the ways that um I've been watching a video from Jaron Lanier recently. He's one of the, you know, sometimes called the father of virtual reality, but he was like one of the, you know, he's one of the key people to help develop the early VR systems. And, you know, his, he's, he's making an argument lately that, you know, it's like you should just get off social media. Um, like statistically speaking, you know, it's going to make you sadder, uh, more depressed. Like just, you know, probabilistically. Yeah. Uh, some people it serves and it serves people well. And yeah. that's why I've been on it for 10 years. Right. But, um, you know, these platforms are increasingly algorithmically um, manipulating us or, or sending us things to help sell things for right. certain advertisers. Yes. And so they're, in a sense, like they're asking us to conform our identity or they're, they're finding out where we, where we get hooked and then they're feeding us more, you know, and they're kind of like using this behavioralist tactics, basically. Right. And, you know, increasingly, it's not just a neutral feed. It's not like Twitter used to be one, whatever comes next, it lands in your feed chrono reverse chronologically. Yeah. There's no advertisements. There's no, you know, um, there's no uh, algorithm that's sorting the feed or changing the feed. Mm -hmm. And I just like, to me, that that's interesting, you know, to see mm -hmm. the way that the informational space is also being um, controlled and manipulated in, in particular ways that aren't with our self, you know, best interests in mind and heart. Right. Uh, and how do we deal with that? Is a, I think that's going to be a big question for us hackers, hipsters, and hippies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's um, as you said that, uh, it occurred to me that like the feedback loop between the systems that we create and the way they impact our like experience is becoming kind of tighter. Mm. And that I think it's interesting that we've, you know, Facebook is like 10 years old. And we're already having, like, is, is that right? It was something I, like that. It's close, you know? yeah. And we're already having our, like, come to Jesus moment with it. Like, it's more than 10 years old, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think we're getting, I mean, like, you know, like Tristan Harris has been, mm -hmm. you know, talking about yes. this kind of stuff. And it's, it does seem like what I appreciate, I think, about what you're saying, and I think I, Tristan Harris said the same thing, is that because these systems are to some degree like organized at the behest of profit yeah and like yeah. turning whatever the raw material yeah. is They've in this case attention into yeah. profit yeah They've then they're going to be fucked up there's no way yeah. that they can't be yeah and so we have to get down to the level of incentives and like systems yes. in order to even yes. like think about how yeah. to resolve these because things. those those feedback loops affect our well-being yeah, and we're just constant, and and they're and they're designed to be addictive, and that's been acknowledged. And even Facebook scientists, yeah. you know, their own scientists, yeah. like acknowledge these things. Yeah, it's like you know, when are we going to have a real conversation about that, mm. um, or when are there going to be alternatives, mm. uh, you know, that come that are actually legitimate, like you know, maybe Web 3.0 social networks. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, those are things that vex me. Yeah, <laughs> these days. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's curious, like, how much more evidence do we need about how, like, how much evidence did it take in, with cigarettes before that got regulated in a kind of right. more comprehensive way? 
right. that the same thing is going to happen here. Like, yeah, right. Because really this seems even vaster than cigarettes in a way. It's like more, it like includes more. Yeah. Somehow. Well, it implicates our children, right, the children ways. of our culture, in, in a much more significant way. Than it's like their future, you know. Yeah, their the mind. future they grew up on. Yeah. yeah so somebody I spoke to uh, who was a teacher, and he's an older man, so you know, um, is said that the he thinks that like smartphones and social media are like nuclear bombs for the brain, in the way that they can fracture and kind of um, make structure like incoherent right mm -hmm. and like distract us i don't think it's quite that bad but i think it can be that bad especially in a, in a if we don't have a kind of like uh relation like an intentional relationship with these tools like it does seem like the common denominator is is like superficial like dopamine based mm -hmm. like social uh, one-upsmanship or like kind of like give mm -hmm. and take and especially in the context of high school, it seems like very deeply screwed up. Um, yeah. But, you know, you don't have to use it like that. And we talked a little bit about that. Like, right. you know, it all depends on how you look at it. You, you, or, or, I mean, there is, there is a degree of this which is system-based. Yeah. Like, and, and we should differentiate. Like, we need better networks and systems that aren't organized according yeah. to profit. Yes. And, like, we are, we're not there yet, and we're still going to probably be using these things to do whatever we're doing. Yeah. And so how do we relate to them in a way yeah. that doesn't, right. you know, that walks that line? I right, think. right. Yeah, because, yes, it, political discourse on social media is just in the dumps, like from what I've seen. Yeah, I, you know, I never saw much political discourse. Until well, 2016. I, I tend to just, I think I like learned to ignore it really early on in my Facebook career you know what I bet happened is I, I learned to ignore it so I didn't incentivize it in my newsfeed so it then just stopped showing up like the people that engaged in that because I was just like so right. for me I didn't have that experience so your your feed was pruned toward inadvertently right they showed me apathy. the they showed me the world <laughs> well no it was it was a kind of like I mean I know that you're not politically apathetic well I think it was more of like an echo echo chamber of like people who kind of like oh uh, yeah the world's getting better like meditate and uh, right, you know right um, right right hopefully burning will win but then he didn't and yeah well, okay, I was sort of thinking of them as like algorithmic ghettos you know a little it's a little, little stronger than echo chamber yeah, well, it would only be a ghetto if there were certain spaces in which people were actually getting, like, a comprehensive and, like, uh, I think, like, wh who, who doesn't live in the ghetto at this point, you know? When you say ghetto, what do you mean? Like a separate, yeah. like, shittier yeah. place, I guess. I don't know. Is that what it means? <laughs> I, I'm not being right I mean, yeah, I don't mean it as a shitty, pl uh, shitty in the sense that everyone is just talking to themselves and there's not, uh -huh. well... Okay, it's not that extreme. Obviously, there's pe people are bringing in different ideas and stuff, but it's it's like we're talking light nuances and shades of the same, rather than radically. You know, like on yeah. Facebook, and suddenly your old friend from high school is like posting about Jesus, you mm -hmm. know, in your feed every day. Mm -hmm. Like we we hide those things and they get pruned out, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like you said, it's it's hell. It's a it's a ghetto in the sense that it's like we're all confined to this, right? You know. Bla, you know, blasé, you know, like bleak existence, you know, it's like conceptually. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. <laughs> just kind of, you know, all self-congratulating, you know, each other about how, how much we've got figured out and how smart we are. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, although I have noticed... I'm not saying we, everyone does that, but that's the extreme Well, no, case. no, no, I, I, I kind of agree, and, but I think that there has been, again, a kind of reckoning just in the past year or two mm. since Trump got... Like, people, I, I noticed that people, and mm. who knows if it's Facebook or the people that use it, you know, it's hard to disambiguate, but um, what I'm being shown and what's actually happening, but the people are getting more thoughtful about the way that they use social media. Mm -hmm. um, they're being less trivial about it. Mm -hmm. There's, like, less... Like I, I remember in the election, at least during the election, like lots of very questionable sources being shared, mm -hmm. like especially not to name names, but like in the Bernie community, just like mm -hmm. very like like weird kind of left mm -hmm. sites that maybe it's a bot, maybe it's you know I don't right, know like, right, right, what right. is this. Um, right, right. I don't see that as much anymore. I feel like we're getting more sophisticated in the way that we amplify the things that come into our our world and our networks of information and stuff. I don't know if that's true in yeah. some communities, but that, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It might still be like a major problem in the, I think, in some of the right-leaning wow. communities. Yeah, like a QAnon. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're talking about that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little disconcerting. Yeah, I read, uh, I think somebody said, um, our species is bifurcating into two groups. This is, uh, <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with this, but I think it's really, it's a funny way of looking at it. Uh, two groups. One is... Um, people that are just like scrolling endlessly through YouTube, right? And, and Instagram are getting dopamine hits, right? Um, and then the other group is like in their flotation tank hooked up to an EEG monitor, like on the ketogenic diet, like, you know, uh, studying their Anki cards to learn a new language and, you know, half the time. And <laughs> there is an element of this around, yeah, like. Well, yeah. Th in a that, weird, yeah. Weird, yeah. Um, uh, Netocrats, the book, the, uh, the Netocrats, right. um, you know, they talk about this, Alexander Bard and Jan Satterquist, they talk about these kind of emerging, new emerging um, classes, essentially, you know, and yeah. some of them are like playing video games in their, you know, parents' basement mm -hmm. and not have a, no job or very little or, you know, it's, it's like their, their relationship to it is as a source of like digital opiate opioid you know right it's kind of like a syrupy thing that you just get lost in but there's no it's not the kind of hyper oh yeah the consumer right is that yeah, yeah something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. i forget it's it's the equivalent of the proletariat and right the or they just consume the, information yeah they don't, like manage or yeah like, yeah right or like, they yeah. don't know their way around the networks you know they haven't they haven't had the opportunity or learned to become proficient in networkism. Yeah, yeah. So they they just get yeah. the they get like the the opioid, you know, result of the network, you know, structure, but they don't get to actually participate in a meaningful in a makingful way with yeah. things. You know, yeah. it's not like they're they're steering or able to navigate some of the amazing riches of what's out there. Uh, and use it for some of the purposes you're talking about, the flotation tank, the self-actualizing, right. you know, uh, hipster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I wonder, like, is it is it just a threshold experience for folks who are kind of caught in between the digital networked world and the non-digital networked world? Like, will future, like, will Generation Z be, like, all networkists, or is it... Well, it's, I think presumably some of them will still be consumitariats or whatever the the term that Bard uses. Like some people are just not gonna 
you know, be interested in that stuff and they'll just, you know, be playing video games There's and watching yeah. bo box office movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's and that seems yeah. like it's going to be a pretty high percentage. It seems like, I mean, YouTube is crazy, man. Yeah, and YouTube like, is mostly, mostly men, right? Oh, I don't know. About, 75% I don't know. or something. Is that, I yeah. So. It's a Certainly a lot of young people. Mm -hmm. I, I saw young, that. Young the, millennial men. Yeah, the, well, well, I saw that there was a, you know how they ask, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now everybody says, I want to be a YouTube star. Wow. That's like the, the career Crazy. of choice for, for, I mean, this is an anecdotal uh, story, I think. No. But, uh, scary. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, scary, and also I think there's, an, a, a, there's something I'm optimistic about young people. Like, uh, I think I heard this story. I think it was Jordan Greenhall on, was it the Future Thinkers podcast? Maybe, mm -hmm. But uh, he talked about how children he's noticed children like self-assembling worlds in minecraft like without any mm -hmm. kind of like uh s sort of overseer mm -hmm. ceo role or plan right they'll just all do their thing and all of a sudden like they'll build something really beautiful that mm -hmm. none of them could have planned oh together yeah together uh -huh. they'll cooperate to build something yeah um and that that might be yeah that kind of sensibility of like cooperation and collaboration and like might be baked into their worldview at Right. That kind of like implicit level that these are like right. kids who have never even, you know, the school right. is not teaching them to do this. Right. It's um, the technology itself. Yeah, is teaching it's the medium them. itself. Yeah, the software, right? the, the apps. Yeah, and so that tech. makes me. Minecraft's such an interesting mirror on yeah. the emerging generation. I've totally been addicted to Minecraft. Have that you? Was around. Oh, no, no, I haven't been. I would oh. have been if I had been. Oh, I would like, too. I would too. I would have fallen in deep. No, for me it was like, you know, it was Diablo and... Oh, yeah, same. Yeah. Magic the Gathering. Magic yeah. the Gathering. <laughs> Geeky stuff, yeah. EverQuest. First person shooters. Um, <laughs> yeah. For goodness. Don't even get me started. Oh, yeah. Dude, I, the, I don't continues. think I've ever revealed this to you, but... Um, oh, no. I, uh, <laughs> uh, the, um, one of the ways that I... Oh, okay. We're being hailed. Um, one of the, I think, what I looked at. have to wrap this combo. Up. Yeah, I think so. Uh, one of the things that I think got me onto the path, so to speak, like meditation-wise, yeah, there's a lot of different things. But one thing I remember is uh, grinding in World of Warcraft, and like going up. This is like my second character, and like you know, I was gonna go to this zone and kill like these beasts and harvest their <laughs> treasure. To like level up, you know, <laughs> and I was just—I remember I had the thought like, and then what? You know, I'm gonna level up, but like, why? You know, I'm just gonna keep leveling up. Like, there's no right. You're gonna keep getting that dopamine hit. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I just had like a moment of like metacognition right, about right. the fruitlessness of right. like what I was doing samsara, in World of Warcraft. The samsara <laughs> logic of, yeah. the, of Warcraft. But it was like a mini samsara loop within the bigger samsara loop. Right. And I was like, right. And right. I, and and then I lost interest in 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 the game, like subsequently. Yeah, that's like, interesting. <laughs> that's and uh, you know. Yeah. Anyways, that's that's such a good analogy. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that's happened to other people. I wonder, and I wonder if it's happening collectively. You know, I, well, that's part of how I look at Trump too. Is like as a massive disillusionment, uh, certainly for the left, yeah, so called. But like, there are a lot of people that are just well, really disillusioned. You know, with our country and with our politics. And, Trump and, as teacher. Yeah. When are we, we going to hit the bottom of the U in Trump? Ha <laughs> <laughs>